Welcome to another conversation with my future skills, the podcast where we talk with interesting people about what skills we have and what skills we need to have to be present in the future. In this episode, I talk to Sharon Lee. Sharon is a neurodivergent behavioral scientist, a yes and expert, an instructional designer, experimental learning coach, an emergent core story facilitator, and a startup core culture coach. Sharon has been living in Europe for almost 26 years as an artist, consultant, and leadership coach. She dedicates herself to helping leaders, entrepreneurs, creatives, other neurodivergent humans to tap into their full cool potential. Her why? Well, she has two. A professional one, which is helping others create a life and business they don't need a vacation from, and a personal one, provoking Kitty's curiosity so that Kitty gives a shit. In this episode, we talk about the ingredients of the secret sauce to scaling and the closest thing to a magic pill that you will probably encounter. We talk about experimenting and asking the right questions, about emotional intelligence, and also about staying dissatisfied. If after this episode you want to hear more from Sharon, then check out the podcast Free Range Thinking that she's co-hosting and which is about discovering and celebrating life as a neurodivergent human. I hope you enjoyed the conversation just as much as I did. Here's Sharon on coaching. So imagine you're in a bar and somebody asks you, what do you do all day? What do you answer to those people? <laughs> um, it depends on who. It depends on who's asking. Um, <clears throat> if what I think the person in front of me will understand, you know, the value of what I actually do all day or not. And so I will temper it uh, to that. Uh, because the truth of the matter is what I do is, um, kind of whatever I want. And I, that sounds funny, but the, um, I think a lot, I do, I do research. Uh, I talk to people, um, I eat snacks. Um, I pet the cat and I, <laughs> I walk around outside. Um, you know, that's kind of the easy answer, you know, so what do I do? Um, you know, coaching, training. Uh, writing, thinking, yeah, researching. So that's, yeah. But what it looks like, it's so like, I always say, if somebody set up a camera in my house, they would probably be thinking like, what, what the hell does she do all day? Because <laughs> a lot of it is the work is internal. Mm -hmm. And my challenge is getting it from in here, outside. Yeah. <clears throat> Why is that a challenge? What, or what makes it a challenge? Um, just because of how I'm hardwired and a lot of times the, the thoughts and, and, uh, just working on things in my head oftentimes is enough. And then I don't need to necessarily manifest it. Uh, but if I don't write something down, then it's, then it gets away from me. I, I can't. It's not that I can't retain it, but um, it doesn't interest me anymore. And so I've worked enough on it in my head. And so it's like if I really want to work on something, um, I will partner, like, you know, have a phone call with somebody and I have different people that I do that with and say, hey, let's talk this through. And then I'll just either record it or, you know, take notes. But it, the th how it comes out through talking sometimes is very helpful. 
rather than just keeping it in my head. Uh, and I'm trying, I'm experimenting with um, uh, voice to text. Um, it's still underway, so I can't tell you how successful it is yet. <laughs> but capturing what what happens in my head, it's, you know, um, being um, <clears throat> introverted and an ideas person, that's where so much of my value is. And so mm -hmm. the, the trick of trying to get it out of my head and onto paper or onto video is, um, I don't want to say the challenge, but kind of, yeah. And because oftentimes for me, thinking about it and working on it and chewing on it is satisfying enough. Um, <clears throat> motivated by, you know, I should do this or I must do that. And, and so I'm, yeah. So if I was, I would probably be, you know, screamingly successful and rich. <laughs> but oftentimes for me, it's thinking about it and working on it just for myself is enough. And so, yeah. So where does that? It, it does, <clears throat> in a way, that raises, of course, more questions. That is kind of the... The, the, the concept of the whole thing, because <laughs> yeah. um, it, it does raise the question if it is enough for us to just think about it. And I, I am very much the same in that way. Um, why are we even looking for ways to bring it outside? That's a question I'm kind of running my content against every time. Um, how would you answer that? Again, a number of different, it depends on the, the thing. It depends on the situation. Um, paying bills is nice. And, and having a project, coming up with a project and having it just be really cool and, and seeing it manifest, especially when it can really help people, um, that is you know, there's so many variations. I don't do anything. I don't do a set pattern of anything, um, <clears throat> which it's difficult to coach people say, well, what do you do? Teach me how to do that. And I'm like, uh, well, <laughs> you know, do you want to do it? Can you do it? it and because for me, it's very comfortable for others. It would probably be very disturbing. I don't know. Um, but the, you know, with the thing with the, the future skills or, you know, future work, um, I'm experimenting with and talking to a lot of people about, and especially people who are neurodivergent and who work outside, you know, the norms of nine to five. Um, because for me, it's like Monday through Friday doesn't mean anything, not at all. And the only reason that I don't work into the middle of the night is because my partner is like a pretty much a nine to five animal. And whereas my natural propensity would be to snap during the day, you know, probably twice in a day and then maybe go to bed early, but then wake up in the middle of the night and all inspired and creative. Um, because earlier in our lives, when she was on a contract, that's what I did. And so that's kind of my natural rhythm. And so how I live now is a little bit outside of my natural rhythm. 
And so nine to five, Monday through Friday is nothing to me. And so I'm always kind of curious how I can um, help others who are like me, who, who, you know, don't have that, you know, industrialized time clock way of living. How can we still function within, you know, the, the structure of society? And, and have it be and thrive yeah, and work for us and not disturb home life. Because, I mean, people with kids, that would be very, very difficult to do. So how would you start figuring that out? Because a lot of people, uh, they grow up in that nine to five mindset <coughs> because that's maybe how their parent, parent structures that they, that's how the school system structured their day. Then they go into a job and maybe that comes on top as well. And we see that changing a bit right now um, with all the, the trend towards remote working. It loosens it up a bit, but it also opens up a lot of questions with like, how do you structure your day when there's no, no nine to five clockwise rail guards at the side? Exactly. And the, this is the, one of the good points of, you know, the big shift with, you know, globally everybody having covid uh because everything was online people are working from home uh, all of us and then except for the of course the essential workers and uh, but there's there's it was shown that we really can do things in a different way and so kind of the how i have it in my head is the people that i you know work with there all over the globe. So that way, um, my time really is fluid. And so that, you know, but all of ours are, so it's who are we choosing to work with and for? And if we say nine to five, nine to five, where? And then if I choose to have some days where I would work, you know, regular business hours in Europe, regular business hours in the U.S., Australia. <laughs> in Asia, to, uh, different parts of Asia, you know, what does that look like? And it can't be too haphazard because that you you kind of need some some kind of a a rhythm. Um, maybe um, for me anyway, it can't be too chaotic. But for me, chaotic enough might be completely chaotic to somebody else. So. Um, it would be very difficult. I mean, all I can speak about is my own and just switching it little by little or experimenting. But I have the luxury of experimenting because of how I have my life set up. If somebody were to ask me, and people do, you know, how would I switch? And they're like, okay, well, do you switch it all immediately? You know, or maybe experimenting is a better idea. Um, with doing some clients at this time and clients over here at this time, um, that kind of thing. So that's the way I see it's possible to construct, uh, you know, our, our, our own personal time zones <laughs> of working, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's the way to do it. Um, but be, uh, experiment, want an answer, a can polished packaged answer of how should I do it? I'm like, I don't know. 
what have you experimented with is always my first question. And generally that answer is, well, I haven't. They just want the answer to tell them how to do it. Like, but you have to experiment because how would you know? You know, this is how I do it, but it might not work for you. And making it that, that fixed answer or packing the answer in that nice little box and package and hand it over is also kind of counterintuitive to the idea of self-managing. Exactly. When we give them the freedom to say like, no, you can kind of experiment or or kind of figure out your own system so you work best for how you want to work and how you need to work than asking for the nicely packaged um, description on how to do it. It's like basically just exchanging one system with another, which goes against the idea of self-managing in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because of the age that I am, I just had this conversation uh, yesterday and uh, it's I, I, because of the age that I am, I've come up with kind of tricks <laughs> or hacks <laughs> to how I work. But when I, you know, it wasn't easy when I was younger because, you know, going, say, undiagnosed or un, uh, untested um, for the ADD and spectral and uh, dyslexia and all these kinds of things, um, you know, I just had to figure out my own systems. And growing up with a single mother, she just didn't, number one, they didn't know about things like that when I was young. And so there was, she didn't know, it didn't occur to her, you know, so it didn't occur to the school system, the people in the schools, they didn't, it was just kind of outside of the detection, especially for girls. And because I wasn't hyperactive and running around, um, which is what the classic, you know, the boys, um, that's how they, I don't want to say they show or they, the, the, the uh, sort of looking for the, not the symptoms, you know what I mean? Um, Anyway, they, uh, so having to find my own way. And so it's not necessarily some of the tips and tricks that I have aren't necessarily the best ways to do it, but they work for me. So what would you say, because you, you mentioned it again, the, the, that the old way might not work for everybody. So the experimenting with yourself and your boundaries and, and your preferences, all of that stuff. So what would you say, how should a good experiment look like? Yeah, good question. All right. I'll take um, an example with uh, like focus, um, um, attention, focus, and energy. <laughs> they're actually two different things, but but they, of course, they're connected. So um, um, I had tried for, for years not to take Ritalin. <laughs> not to take a, you know, and I know that the Ritalin or, you know, Adderall, Adderall, I can't, I can't take it all. I have a, a reaction to that. So I take like the, the most minimal dose and even break that in half of the Ritalin when I have to, and I don't take it all the time. It's just when I have to um, sit in a chair and do methodical things. Um, Cause then that, that's when it's really hard for me. And um so, but, but if I have to do a number of things methodical, um, then it's, you know, I need a particular type of focus and concentration. And so I've now found that, um, certain mushroom powders, 
uh, and I'm just reading, reading and, and, and researching and asking a lot of questions and it's continual. It's just year and years and years of, of research and, um, question asking and for myself. Um, and so I've tried before to do the nutrition thing, but there, it was never enough. It was never quite right. And now I can use the mushrooms, pow mushroom powders. Um, one of which is the best one is a lion's mane and the MCT oil. Um, they either make a, uh, like a smoothie, a grainy, no sugar. Um, the sugar is off the table because that the, the, the goal is in fact, um, keeping a sustained energy burn because as soon as you get into the peaks and the valleys, then it, then it cycles out of control. Um, so for people with attention or energy fluctuations, that's, that's the game. That's, <laughs> that's the hottest game in town. So I found with, with the nutrition, with the right amount of protein and the mushroom powder, the lion's mane for um, focus and the MCT oil, it's the most optimal, like slow burn. It does, and it doesn't vary very hardly at all. Mm -hmm. And so that lasts a number of hours and then you're going to make another, you know, snack with it. <laughs> and, and so that's, but it's experimentation. It's taken a long time to figure that out for me. And it's like practicing with like how much powder, how little powder, you know, some things are too much. It tastes horrible. And it's like, I'm not going to do that. And then, so you back off of one thing and you add another thing and, but it's experimentation. That's what it looks like. And, but you have to kind of say in a controlled experiment, it's like, don't, just add that in and keep eating sugar. You know, you're going to eat that. That's a waste. You have to like remove sugar. And, and when I was experimenting, I would totally remove coffee, for example. Um, so you remove all, all stimulants because then you can have, um, a better, a better, uh, testing, testing result, if you will. You know, but you have to have a base. You kind of, if you can find a baseline. Um, but I do, from talking to a lot of people, they don't experiment with themselves like that. And so when I talk about the baseline, they're like, what are you talking about? So then I have to back up and explain that. But knowing our baselines is super helpful um, to be able to experiment. And whether that's, you know, and that has to do with, you know, introversion, extroversion, and being, um, uh, you know, HSP, you know, highly sensitive person, um, to know what situations we can and shouldn't, can be in, you know, we can endure it. And then other situations where we shouldn't be in, <laughs> you know, it's, it's the, the, you know, what's the optimal workspace to be in because it has, it has an effect on, on attention and energy. Yeah. That takes experimentation, but the, if there's too many elements, you don't know what's a cause and what's a symptom. The right. baselines, finding baselines and knowing that and just taking notes and noticing the awareness. People, I don't want to pay attention. It's too much, you know. My wife, for example, she's just like, I don't want to pay attention to that. It's too much. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I don't know what to do for you because um, you can't force somebody to pay attention or, or, or give that kind of, um, 
I hate to use the word commitment because I'm like not a committed person in that way because it's it, and I'm not fanatical about it because it would I would notice things and take notes and then maybe skip a day or two just because I'm doing something else. Um, and so some people would say that ruins the experiment. I don't think so. It's like, what's the average? This is the thing about the baseline. What's the baseline? What's the average of, of you know, um, how we're operating, our operating systems? Because I look at it. I look at it like that. Uh, science experiment. Um, it's all chemical. Everything we eat is chemical. Yeah. From, from your experience, you just mentioned that people say, oh, I don't have the, the um, time for that or the commitment for that. I don't want to do or put in that commitment. What do you think? What's that roadblock that keeps them from doing that? Uh, any number of things. Um, any number of things. And in, in our society right now, it is like, you know, the age of the magic pill. And of course, when I was younger, it was like, but no, you have to. And I would, <laughs> I would try and help them. And now I just don't. I was like, okay, I, I, I can help you, but I'm not going to chase you. I don't know what else to say. You know, it's, it's like the answers are there, but I'm not going to be the one cramming you know, it's not a magic pill. That's the thing. And so to find the optimal, you know, to work, to find the optimal um, situation, it takes, it takes work and it takes um, patience with self. And I think that right there is, I don't want to say a roadblock, but it's, I see a lot of people get tripped up on that. Um, they're not patient with themselves with the experimenting and they what their expectations of self are um, um unrealistic let's say because uh, they say you know i want to change and i want to change overnight <laughs> and that's unrealistic that's unrealistic so you know that's when i'm coaching people and say okay what are your expectations and help them like set reasonable expectations whether it's that, whether it's the, um, you know, finding a good way to have an energy flow, um, yeah, free and flow. And that's also what we, what we can see a bit in the, in the working world right now, the expectation part that just jumped out to me because I have the feeling we set unrealistic expectations in a lot of different fields, not just for ourselves, not just for bettering ourselves, quote unquote, mm -hmm. so whatever bettering means. Um, and we set so high expectations in ourselves, in our work, in our appearance, in, in what we do and what we produce. And you also just said that we're lacking that patience. Mm -hmm. um, that sometimes things take time. Mm -hmm. So how do you, or for me, that means figuring out the answer to the question, how do you maintain the energy, not just with yourselves, but in a whole project, for example, in, in basically everything we do, how do you maintain the energy and don't just quit 
at the first roadblock, at the first thing that might not go as planned. Um, give up on the first thing that comes up that might be a bit unpleasant. Um, and you also said a thing about the, the society of the magic pill. <laughs> expecting that quick fix, the quick solution. Mm-hmm. Um, which, well, for most of the thing, it's just not there. Um, mm-hmm. Well, first, let me let me um, touch on the what you were saying about in your inner work situation. Um, you know, and all of this stuff. You know, it starts with self. And so if we don't have patience for ourselves, it's very difficult to have patience with others. And I can give you a a really recent example of, you know, just came back, you know, this is the day after a retreat, uh, you know, that I did a week long retreat with people. And the first day into it, I get sick and I don't know what I had. But it was, you know, I just didn't have my full capacity. I was probably at like 20%. And instead of freaking out, it was, you know, I let everybody know. I didn't hide it. So that, therefore, I like set the expectation immediately and said, okay, look, this is going on. Um, You know, we're just going to do what we're going to do. Everybody's fine. The the group, um, you know. It doesn't surprise me with the group that I had. So everybody was fine and we carried on, but it's like coming out of it. It's like today, I still, it's like, I can't find my words. It's, it's just very strange. And instead of being stressed and having unreasonable expectations to, you know, come up with the right word or come up with somebody I want to quote or a book that I, it's like, it's not going to happen. And so you know, allowing ourselves to not be perfect and, and, but not just us, but other people, but it's, it is difficult when you need to get things done and somebody's not necessarily at their best. It's like, but what happens is we don't communicate that. Communication is such a huge part of it. And so to, to allow that to happen, to in fact, expect it to happen because the false expectations of we're going into this project it's going to be perfect it's going to run like crockwork nothing's going to go wrong and i noticed that so well pretty much all projects nobody talks about building in buffers or they'll build in buffers of timelines or if they do it but not with people no i never see that so yeah. not themselves and not with other people. Right. So it's like, we need skills for that. And I think a lot about that. And, and there's, there's a proven track record, I want to say, of so many projects um, reducing the slack that they have also in timelines right. or, or money budget-wise, all of these things. And, and there, there's that book, um, Meltdown, which actually sure. is all about <laughs> how all these catastrophes out there came to be because we don't allow for slack. We're optimizing the slack out of everything. 
Um, yeah. It's a fascinating read just to see yeah. how how everything turns pear shape just because we 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 have that 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 fetish to mm. optimize, 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 squeezing everything out of it. Um, yeah, exactly. And so a lot of times people are like, wow, they're surprised. And they God, you pulled the thing up. You really did that. Yeah, you know, how did you do that? And I'm like, planning. But I don't mean planning. They, when I say planning, they're assuming it's planning. And it's like, no, no, no. My planning is mostly the planning of the slack. That's, that's my secret. That's the secret. And so well, how do you avoid, because I can imagine a lot of people hearing, I'm not just looking at the positive stuff. Everything will go well. I will plan for, for the unexpected and the things that might go wrong. And I can, in, in the same moment, I can also see them kind of turning in a complete off, opposite direction and say like, okay, if that doesn't go right, this, 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 and this will go wrong. So how do you prevent that from, from slipping off into the other direction? From them thinking like that? Right. Yeah. You can't. You can't. Bad news. You can't. <laughs> In this era, the way that the, the industrialized, you know, culture has been going on, this is the fallout from that. And so this is why I choose to work with the people that I work with and, and the clients that I work with are the people who understand and or have, have more of an awareness. It's very, I just have no interest work. If I'll, uh, but this is why I help, you know, coach and train people who work for people like that and, and in projects like that. Me personally, I'm just kind of don't have an interest for it or a taste for it anymore. Um, and so I choose not to, but I'm very good at helping people who do work in that situation and, and how to take care of themselves because they're in a gray area where it's, it's changing but it's not there yet. And they, everybody in it has, has unreasonable expectations and old paradigms. And so it's like, how do you take care of yourself and a group with that going on? And it's like, it's very clear think, uh, clear uh, communication. It's, uh, you know, keeping a track record, setting really solid boundaries um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of it I could, you know, go into, but that's, that's, um, it's tough. It's, it's tough and it's, but it's changing. And this is the exciting part of it. You know, if I was 30 or 20, I'd be like, yes, well, let's go. And now I'm like, <laughs> you know, let somebody else do that, you know, and I'll help the people who are in it. What's the biggest most exciting change that you see right now? Oof. The fact that people have, you know, experienced the great pause um, during COVID. And so they understand that things can be different. And because before the pandemic, it's like, it can't be different. And they were set on it. So many people were set on that. And people who were very, um, uh, not narrow, but it was more of a rigid thing of this is the way it is. It's always been that way. It always will be this way. Long the pandemic kind of busted that open and it opened the window or a door. And so that has been very, very interesting. And a lot of new, well, for example, how many companies said we can't work from home? That's impossible. 
that will never happen. And hello, you know, hello, COVID. And, and look, people, they were, they had to. So it proved that companies could. And so a lot of, you know, policies and, and procedures have changed. Mm-hmm. But now they want to go back and say, no, we can't do that. And everybody's like, uh-uh, we've done it. <laughs> we have right. proof now. We have a track record now. And so the fact that a lot of people are in the position of um, having to admit, you know, that you know, never say never kind of thing. And so I, that excites me um, because I can use it and I do in conversations with people who want to say, this is how it's always done. And so now I have lots of proof to point to um, uh, because of the pandemic. And there's people that don't, uh, you know, they've, they've really changed and they've changed the way that they, um, the way that they live for sure. Um, the, the way that they take care of self, there's a lot of conversations happening now that would never have been happening if it weren't for the pandemic. And so it's, it's, uh, it's a big cultural shift. And I find it exciting, which allows companies to change, which allows culture to change. There's a lot of, a, a lot of good coming out of this. Right. And that's actually one of the things that I see happening if, if we try to find a, I want to say, I want to say kind of a list. It's not a, it's not an ending list of things that do help you work on your self-management skills, but um, you just said taking care of yourself, asking for what you need, setting the boundaries, all of that mm-hmm. is, is a big point of that. Um, and, and upholding those boundaries, being, some would say, brave enough to, to keep them up. And, and if you look into what is now called the great resignation, um, Everybody, as you just said, like, well, going back to that, not not in a million years, I'm looking for somebody else who who can work with my skills and who can make use of them. And I want to see the, oh, I want to say the, what an employment situation is, is changing a bit. It's not the employee at the bottom and the employer at the top who gives down instructions, but it's becoming more and more to be a partnership if it's done well. Mm-hmm. Um, working with different level of expertise, being comfortable with that, that there are different level of expertise and that they, those level might not necessarily um, overlap with how your hierarchy is set up, if there even is a hierarchy. All of these these changes that on one hand, ask people to be more flexible and to be less directed from an outside force mm-hmm. to being more open, being more honest with themselves. What can we do? What do we want to do? And that meeting employers that are open to figure out a way to make that work for the greater good of the company, if you want to say so. Right, right. And and there's going to be, you know, a long period of um, not necessarily upheaval. That sounds a little bit too dramatic, but there's it's experimentation is what it is. Um, 
uh, that's actually the the the, the more the best word for it. Uh, but they say well, this is our new thing, but it's actually an experiment, especially if it's new. <laughs> and but the um, you know people are being asked to to take more responsibility, um, but not in a. I mean, it was and still is in some places. Don't get me wrong, but it like take on too many tasks and be responsible for things. That it's not what I'm talking about. I mean, the people to to stand up and say, "Hey, I want part of this." And right now, we're in this area where it's more possible. Of course, again, not all companies. <laughs> and uh, but there's there's this. You know, what part of it do you want? You know, can you be? Um, can we be? Or how much can we be? Or allowed to be? And the trick is right now is to find a place that you really want to be in. Not, not everybody can have that choice. And it's like, for example, um, you know, single mothers, you add on top of that single mothers of color, you add on top of that, you know, something that somebody's struggling with, with some kind of neurodivergence on top of that. These people don't have a lot of choice. So it's, it's important for us to feel a little bit like we have ownership of something, but the word I was looking for was agency. And to allow people to have that who, who are working for us and with us uh, and, and to share the value, to share the value of themselves and to share in the value of the group of a particular project. Um, but that takes a high level of, um, or higher levels of, um, awareness and emotional intelligence and this is a thing hmm. okay this is interesting what this new era requires of us is to build our muscles of emotional um emotional intelligence in order to do what we need to do in the future and to have to be able to work in types of places um that are going to be the best places to work and and it takes an emotional intelligence, of course, <laughs> the best thing is for, you know, to from CEO level, you know, to have somebody actually doing their own work on their own shit and then have it, you know, permeate the entire company. Yeah. Whether it's a startup and small, um, but I would say, especially if it's a startup, because they tend to like really abuse each other. <laughs> And startup culture, yeah. They do. I heard in a podcast lately an interesting wording around the culture because it is, late, in the end, it is part of the culture what we're doing there Absolutely. in a company. And they, they thought, they said, um, you, well, breaking it down, you basically got two types. The one is the permission-based culture and the other one is the constraint-based culture. And you would think that Permission-based sounds cool and great, and this is what we want, when in fact what we want is the constraint-based. Because what they mean is with the permission-based, you only do what you have permission to do, mm -hmm. which is that very directive system that we have from top down um, until it reaches the last element of the chain that then actually does the work. When in fact, if we open the system up and set some constraints, set some boundaries, mm -hmm. and then say everything that doesn't go against that, you're free to do. These are our rules. Right. These are our, our guardrails. Mm -hmm. um, 
And whatever you think you can do, what you think is good for the greater good, please have at it. Having that agency to to fill that space that are created within these boundaries. That is what we want. And this is what Mm -hmm. I want to say the 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 good ideal mm-hmm. of how we want to work is. Um, but again, you, you mentioned the startup culture, which is using a lot of that lingo, not necessarily filling it with the right actions. Exactly. And, and again, this is, this is a thing that's going to take a while to just naturally, organically change. There is no overnight solution because of the industrialized culture uh, that you know, education, family, country, you name it, especially when you have international groups and different people are at different levels of getting in or, in or out of that, the, the, the paradigms. And so it's going to take a while to, to and it's got to look messy before it kind of settles down. And, you know, to have the agency, because in the beginning, people are so used to saying, well, that's not my job. So how long is it going to take people, you know, to say, oh, that's not my job to be like, but they don't say it. And maybe they don't have a, but maybe they think it, you know, that's not months. That's Five. not weeks and months. That's years. And that's just one person. So, you know, this again, allowing for the, the, the flux and the gap and the unsettledness of like, how do you build something around that as it's changing? Because we're in a big time of change right now. And so it's like, um, you know, uh, putting together groups and building projects with that in mind, that things are going to shift. Because as soon as they want to say, okay, it's this and done. (laughs) Number one, humans aren't like that. But in this particular era, it's the sands are shifting. And which makes it exciting, but it also makes it difficult to predict stuff. Um, but I like it because it's the it's human behavior. So for me, that's solid. You know, humans are chaotic. So as long as you plan for that, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Coming back to the to the startup lingo, because mm-hmm. what what making it open for all those different influences and all those different changes. But what seems counterintuitive to work with that is scaling. And we we have that, that fixation on bigger, further, faster and scale, scale, scale. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, well, if I have to make it a question, it would be, First of all, is it even, should we even talk about scaling? And if so, how do we combine that? Shouldn't we, should we even combine it? Should we find another word for it, another mindset for it? Or are we fine and we just need to change the parameters? What's your opinion of that? I, I think we should definitely ask the question, but it shouldn't just be the CEO asking the question and then imposing it on everybody in there. They should have a company-wide discussion and say, hey, we need to scale this thing. Now, we have this element, this chaotic element. All you guys are changing. These people are working at home. So put it to the group. Use the hive mind. 
everybody is so intelligent. Sure, certainly you should be hiring intelligent people. So don't squander it because all your answers are going to come from within this group. And I think there's going to be more and more of this where they're going to use their entire organization to find their answers. And this is where the gold is. And once companies start to understand that, these are the ones that are going to be able to just scale anything. Because what looks impossible is just something that hasn't been, um, you know, a brilliant idea hasn't been allowed to, to, to come out yet. And because there's always a solution, always, unless you squeeze the life out of your team your right. and company. Because uh, somebody can come up with it, but you don't know who. You can never guess that. And it's like there might be elements of this, but then they talk, and then somebody over here has an element, and they put it together like a puzzle piece. And next thing you know, you've got a solution that you would never have put on the table. This is the, the, the exciting thing that I see with the DAO communities. And the way how they're working with each other is, is I think, brilliant. They're, they're struggling a little bit with you know, how to do the management and where should it come and who should be holding the, you know, the decision-making thing and how to. So it's exciting. I find it exciting because they're having the discussions. As long as you're talking um, and having the discussions and asking the good questions, but as soon as that stops, you're going to be in trouble, especially in the future. Because I think scaling, I don't necessarily think scaling is bad when you do it at the cost of other things. Yes. But I don't, I, I think it's possible. Like I say, can you, can quality scale? In the models from the past? Yeah, no. Because <laughs> as soon as you start scaling something, it's, it's, you have to, people start trimming this and that and trimming, you know, things that were important in the beginning. And things that made either the product or the service so amazing. Then as soon as you start systemizing it, the amazing parts are left aside in favor of scaling money and profit. You know what I mean? And so in terms of, of getting something and say, well, can we scale? Should we scale? That question needs to be on the table and the CEO needs to listen. You know, it's like, okay, you can do it but not with this group of people because this group of people, you know, they're not going to work like dogs to put money in your pocket. I mean, they probably will. They'll probably stay and do it because um, that's been the story so far, but you can't have it all. Let's put it that way. You know, you can't have a humanitarian um, uh, type system if one person is making decisions about scaling and not including the entire group. Yeah, because the, there's something's, you know, certain things are going to need to drop, but it would be great. If, I mean, of course, the CEO or a group or a group of people need to be kind of the final decision makers. Otherwise, it is chaos. It's like herding cats, which is what I see in some of the DAO communities. They just things get dropped and then nobody shows up and then nobody who's running the meeting. It's like, you, you know, it's hard to keep um, things organized if there isn't a subtle kind of structure. But. You can have a structure. Structure is good, um, but just don't strangle the life out of everybody. And 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 the the process is again plan in the flexibility, <laughs> plan in the um, 
the gray areas, plan for the gray areas. Um, yeah. You just, you just mentioned the DAO communities and, and I find them very interesting as well. Just the, how do they come to, to a decision in the end? And well, yes, on the one hand, it's still sometimes like herding cats because, well, the A for DAO stands for autonomous. And a lot of people... That's a good idea that decentralized autonomous organizations. I'm sorry exactly. I didn't say what that was. And so a lot of people said the the autonomous equal with nobody can tell me what to do. Right. So what happens is you are dependent on the people who and their willingness to do a job. Right. Um, you rely on the people to be able and interested enough in doing a job. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is a hurdle to come over. How do you how do you discuss that? How do you talk about that? How much is autonomous enough in a way? But on the other hand, what these communities do really well is work with what they got. Certain amount of people who have the same vision, who have the same idea, who who really buy into what it is that DAO represents. And then they bring in whatever skills they have. And because DAOs are so new, nobody has a track record. Nobody has expertise in that. Um, Nobody's the authority in that. Mm-hmm. In the best of cases, um, still there. As always, there are people who call themselves that, but actually, how <laughs> old are DAOs by now? Nobody has the authority on right. that. Right. So we're all experimenting, and we're all coming to terms with what it means and how we fill it with life. So, in in my opinion, DAOs do that really well, working with the skills that they have and with the interests that people have, and what they create with that. Some of them are really amazing. Some mm-hmm. of them are still figuring this thing with the no permission means no constraint out. Um, right. But how they they talk about and how they look into skills and, and upskilling mm-hmm. um, is fascinating to see. And they get the job done. They're, they are talking. They are working. They are coming up with ideas without the certificate bullshit bingo without having to prove yourself um so i am curious to see how that over time translates into into business culture into into company cultures um is it and but but that also raises the question is it even possible because the the i want to say the the raison d'etre of a DAO, it might be different than one from a company. So, so how right. can you align that? What should you align? Yeah. Well, that's that's um, you know, not every company you know needs to be DAO-ish, and not every DAO needs to be run like a company. It's nice to have a choice. And up until now, it was basically one way. And I think in the future, I don't see everything turning to like a DAO structure. Um, I don't think that would actually be good, but there's there's some things that absolutely need more structure, but it's nice having a choice that like with the way we were, that we can find one structure or another that works best for us because there are people that can't work in a DAO system. It's too chaotic for them and it's very stressful. 
and you know, and it, and it, and it may, it's, it builds anxiety. So they shouldn't work in a Dow system. Um, and it's, but there's, there's enough of us that it's just like, ah, finally, <laughs> you know, this is, this is what I've been looking for, which is excellent. And it, and it's, and it's a really interesting way of working and, and using our skills and having our skills that, that have not been appreciated in a rigid structure. Suddenly they're incredibly welcome and they're noticed and rewarded. And that, that's a, that's an amazing thing. And so there's, there, like for me, for example, you know, coming up with solutions or coming up with ideas and things, people are like, yeah, we don't need that. We're doing it this way. And, you know, to, ah, we don't need that. And it's like, yeah, they don't need me. They don't, they don't need me. They don't want me. They don't, they don't. And, and so, but I sit really, really well in, in a DAO structure because I can go, hey, what about this? You know, and it's welcomed. And, and, you know, whatever I come up with, which is a lot, <laughs> as you know, you know me. And, and so, you know, and if it's not this particular group, because of what I'm interested in is helping with the culture, helping build the culture of these, these groups as they're forming, you know, coaching one or in a group. And then, but I can go from group to group to group and that, wow, that's satisfying to me. And going into companies doing that, they just don't see it. They don't, they're not, I don't want to say they're not ready. It sounds like I'm like, oh, I'm so above them. I don't mean that. It's just that their structure, they prefer to have the structure like that, or they think they do. And they, and, and it works for them. And they don't think they, they don't see that they need to change. They don't want to change it. They want to keep it how it is. So it doesn't, you know, it's just not, it's okay. It's just not. Well, it's fun for me. And, and, you know, there's a lot of people like me. So it's like, there's not the one size fits all again, you know, whereas for a long, long, long time, the world of work was basically one size fits all structure, the structure of work and the organizational structure. But I like, and myself, I prefer the DAOs that have a, a, a person and then a, maybe a small group who is more responsible for the structure. And I don't prefer the ones that are really open. Those, are, those aren't for me either. So it's like there's, you can find now in this era, like where we want to work. Um, but it does, it does take some research. And sometimes people it's tiring and they don't want to think about it. They don't want to deal with it. They just want to go get a job. Okay. You know, that's okay too. But if we want to find a place where we really fit in, um, and this is where coaching um, uh, comes in. And this is also the, the, the era of everybody's going to end up having a coach, you know, a coach for work, a coach, you know, you know, for, for like, um, I'm going to say life balance, a coach, you know, for, for, you know, upskilling, um, re-education, re, you know, a, a number of different, anything, anything. And I think that's a wonderful thing. So that's a booming industry right now. And everybody's kind of trying to figure out like, what, how, how do we do it? You know, how do we do this? The, the, you know, getting a coach to help us find 
Like, where should we be? Because they've already done the work. They've already thought about it. So we don't have to. You don't have to do all the work anymore. It's like Google. You know, so find somebody, you know, <laughs> find somebody who already has that information that can help, you know, help us find kind of a better fit where we will be. Yeah. And help us acclimate and, and kind of on-ramp into the new thing or help find a coach that help, can help us experience or excuse me, experiment about where we should be. Because if you don't have it, how would you know? How would you know if you wanted to experiment with like, well, should I be here, here, or here? And if you have a coach, kind of a thinking partner that can, you can try out some different things, not, not necessarily physically, but maybe, um, you know, just in, in your head or, you know, conversationally or emotionally, because that's an important thing. What's it going to feel like? And have somebody help you flesh that out. And it's like going in and trying on clothes in a, in a you know, cabin in, the, in, a, in a department store. So you can try on different things through a conversation so you can make a better decision where you want to be. Yeah. What would be the best working thing? So it's kind of a, you don't have to do years of work for the awareness thing. Cut to the chase, get a coach, you know, whether it's like, um, you know, four times in a month, you know, two or four times in a month for one thing, one month. Or maybe you go, wow, that was really useful, and then switch over to another coach for something else. I don't know. It's all, anything's possible, but you don't have to do it alone. And so for upskilling, this is like the most beneficial thing um, and easiest way to, this is, this is actually the closest thing to the magic pill. Ah, there you go. <laughs> this is the, clo- the coaching is the closest thing to the magic pill that we, we can get to. Because it can help us navigate the, the experimentation of feedback and, and basically the, the agency that comes with it. Right. Um, how, how do we navigate that free space that we have now? Right. Um, yeah, and we don't, well, we're kind of used to doing that alone because Mark? also how the business world operated until now, never show that you're weak or... Well, and where does that come from? It comes from family, country, education system. Do it on your own. You know, don't, you know, don't ask for help. You know, and there's a lot of shame around that as well. But in, in you know, having going in with somebody, you're, you know, with a coach and saying, hey, I've got this new job. I'm kind of unsure about integrating into this. Uh, uh, can you be my kind of like coach just I can lean on? For the first month. I mean, imagine if everybody did that. You would lower anxiety. It would lower, sure, it costs something, you know, but there's, there's, you know, there's every level of, of, um, um, you know, pricing as well. So there's, it's possible and it's going to be more possible in the future. Yeah. This is what I see coming. Yeah. So what is yeah. that thing that, that they're like, don't go alone, take this. I forget what movie or show it was from. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? I, I do. So don't go alone, take a coach. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. It's the, the most, because um, again, there's no guarantee or anything, 
but it lowers the risk. It lowers anxiety. It lowers a number of things because you can bounce the ideas off of somebody. It's like, oh shit, this happened, you know. And somebody's like, oh, that's no big deal. That's no big deal. Here, you know, pivot this or you know, uh, uh, do this or say, you know, here's a phrase or try this. And yeah, right. I find it interesting and also very, very cool to see how. The working world, bit by bit, becomes more human-focused again. Yes. I want to say we've been through a phase where, well, I, I, I hate the term human resources. Um, I know. Because it says exactly how we deal with humans as a resource, as that little screw in the system. And if the person doesn't work like it's supposed to do, we just take the screw out and we replace it with another screw. Uh, and we expect every, well, because with screws, we expect every screw to look the same, function the same, have right. the same properties, all of that. One size uh, fits all. Exactly. And and I find it really refreshing to see how that is changing bit by bit by bit and discussion by discussion. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hopefully not by pandemic by pandemic. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. One was enough <laughs> for now. Um and I find that very refreshing to see how we're, how, especially when we look into how we're having discussions about automation, technology, AI, all of those things where we, where we have to discuss the points, what does a human, um, or, or where is the, is the separation line between humans and technology? And what can one do better than the other? Um, or and, and take out the competition in that. It's not like I can do this better, so I have to do this, or I have to focus in on that. It's more where are our natural differences? Where are our natural tendencies? And tendencies, true. Who focuses on what? Mm -hmm. And what can we create by working together? Mm -hmm. uh, and um, well, the, the discussion about diversity is a very big point on that and taking that further, not just diversity, because that's has also become that marketing label where we have that one woman yeah. on the board or that one black person on the board. And mm -hmm. if we want to optimize again, we have a black woman on the board. So we got two categories in one. Um, but really the discussions about inclusion and belonging in that so how can we create a system and it's the agency the word agency yeah. and and equity and what do we have the value of of what we have in the richness and the depth of of the diversity um and that and, and people finally understanding i don't know how long it's going to take us to get there i wish there was a magic pill for that um yeah but I, I, yeah, I want to say because not predict, not hard to predict, but if, if it's up to me, that would be a magic pill situation and bam, I would make it happen overnight. True. But I yeah. do see it more and more happening because we have people in the right places and those people, they got the foot in the door. And so you can't not hear their voices anymore. It might still. Some people can, some people still can not hear their voices um so there's this is the, but this is the thing that's gonna 
I don't want to say take time. I don't want to mean like, oh, it'll take time. We have to be paid. Uh-uh, I'm super restless. I want it to happen yesterday. And so it's like, how do we be, how do we move it forward as much as we can in that aspect? And so I do, I know you do as well. And um, yeah, we just keep moving forward. You just don't take your foot off the, the, the you know, the accelerator. And if you see people with their foot on the brake with that, you try and remove their foot from the brake. You know, it's the, the um, yeah, on all levels. And, but that, you know, it's, it's until we solve for, you know, like the racism and diversity in, in all levels. Um, I, for one, think it starts with the racism. Um, there's, but until we solve for that, other things won't move forward. Right. Um, it's just, a, it's. But I, I, I rely, for example, I wouldn't teach something myself about that. I talk about neurodivergence and neurodiversity. That's my area. Um, but if I'm going to be talking about something else as a whole for a client, I would call in one of my other, one of my other um my pool of people who are like brilliant <laughs> and actually live it, you know, and people who are living in that, in that swim lane to speak about it. And this is what we need to do for each other, you know, open the door for each other. And, uh, yeah, but this is the thing about the upskilling. We have to bring everybody with us. Yeah. With the agency and the, um, and the valuation. We have to stop building those artificial boundaries. Well, my opinion, we have to start building those artificial boundaries that keep people out of it. Um, just because we think, we, we see that skill part. Funnily enough, I, I feel like that, that pie that we need to separate between each other. When in fact, and at all, well, and that means in a consequence, when somebody else gets less skills, I get fewer skills, or at least I can monetize my skills. Yeah, the, the um, scarcity versus the plenty. Right. It's mm -hmm. not a pie. No, it's uh, not a pie. And also the, the skills I personally see as focusing on in that area mm -hmm. are the wrong skills. Mm -hmm. Um at least the wrong skills to focus in on and make the fight about. Um, what kind of skills are you, can you describe the skills you're talking about in that context? So generally height or what we see height skills, um, yeah. like take programming, for example. Now we're all talking about everybody has to learn this programming language or that programming language. And but we can't open it in, uh, up because then that person takes away our job because they can do the same thing as we do. And suddenly it becomes a competition when in fact, first of all, I don't think hard skills are anything to fight for. It's like, <laughs> why would you? I, I don't understand the concept of it. Um, and second of all, the how we how we value skills is a lot hard fact uh, hard skills over what we call soft skills mm -hmm. when i personally i don't even like the term soft skills they're not soft they're uh, the foundation of everything we do and they're actually they're harder 
they're actually harder to acquire than... Exactly, exactly. Because you can't just sit in front of a book and read them and then say you can do. Well, the carrots are... I jump in here and say exactly why. Okay, hard skills, it's something you can do. It's in a thing. It doesn't touch your culture, really. Now, your parents might not want you to study cello, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they might you want you to study medicine, but you want to study the cello. But still, outside of that construct, there's it's it's just kind of the skills are so, kind of isolated. But soft skills, wow, they're complex. So it's not a, a, a one and done and overnight. It's this. It touches this. It touches this. It touches this. It touches everything. I asked it to do with like what baggage. You know how much baggage <laughs> we we bring into that equation, and and that affects everything in terms of the soft skills that we are trying to onboard. Because then we have a bias of it around it, um, and so the soft skills is like, and then how do you use it? People use them. You could teach the same skill to three different people or ten different people. And they're going to incorporate it a different way in each in each one. No, no two people are going to incorporate that soft skill the same way. This is complex, and people are like, "Yeah, but it's complicated and it's, and it's difficult." Therefore, it's more work. So the practicing of it, and it's because it's intangible, it's hard to see results. So people, people, and their expectations are unrealistic about it because it's not a magic pill. Therefore, they either give up you know, or just shut down completely and say, oh, I don't care about this. This isn't important. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think you just made up a, um, an interest, or you opened up the door for an interesting um, differentiation between the words complex and complicated. And that also, in, in my understanding, is the basis of the differentiation between hard skills and soft skills. Hard skills might be complicated. It might be complicated to learn cello to to take your, but it's not complex when you exactly. can play the cello. You exactly. can't play the cello. Exactly. But what happens if tomorrow we decide we don't want to have cellos anymore in an orchestra? Then your skill just overnight becomes obsolete. Right. Soft skills, however, they're complex. They might not be super complicated, but they're complex because they might be different in every situation or they can be applied in each situation differently. But what that allows you when you're, um, when, when you, well, I don't want to use the word master the skill because that's, right. that's, that, that's that an end goal alone. and it's not a, um, not a never ending journey. There's exactly. no end goal to it. Exactly. But what the, the knowledge of soft skills allows you is different in the future because if you know um the concept of music maybe it might be different if you play the cello or some other instrument that we invent tomorrow that we might not know yet but you have the the underlying foundation and you can navigate that and you don't have to fear what the future brings you don't have to lose your sleep over are you still relevant tomorrow can you still keep track of what's happening tomorrow right because that foundation of soft skills that help you navigate the trends of whatever is there out there to come mm-hmm. are solid and you can trust in them mm-hmm. 
and that's why why I personally and I'd like to to, yeah. to back up and say what are you describing as soft skills? So I would say in general it's all the skills that help you navigate human interaction. Okay, name some. For example, communication skills. A lot of them that can let your communication as well. Yeah, yeah. Or, or for example, empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those skills that help us deal with other human beings and navigate work between human beings, relationships with other beings, um, all of these things. Because basically, if you break it down, everything comes down to a human interaction. Yeah. Um, we wouldn't have technology if it weren't to facilitate human interaction. Yeah. If we weren't like what humans built in their lifetimes, most of the time is for other human beings, good or bad, but mm-hmm. to influence other human beings. Yeah. Um, even if you look into the discussion about climate change right now, we're not talking about saving the planet for the planet's sake. We're saving the planet for the prolongation of humans on that earth. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're always talking about human interaction. We're always talking about humans coming together, creating something, making something happen, having a relationship. And when you can navigate that, you can navigate everything because everything comes down to that. Yeah, yeah. But it's complex in its simplicity. It is. It is. It, it, sometimes it's more complicated to make something simple. Right. And it's, again, it's like the, 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 the people who are, um, you know, what they've learned, what we've learned in our culture and what, you know, again, the baggage that we have to carry around. People say, you know, what, so I have to go to therapy to do all this stuff. I'm like, well, no, not exactly. But you might get a coach. <laughs> Again, it's not a magic pill, but it's the closest thing to it. And, you know, it's like, okay, you know, because therapy is like, they'll listen to you talk. A coach will be like, okay, and you, and you laid the boundaries, right, of how, how you know, gentle or boot camp, you know, <laughs> drill instructor you wanted. It's up to each person within the construct of the agreement, of the coaching agreement, you know, or who you want, you know. Some people want the drill instructor type coach. You just go, okay, you need to knock that off. You know, you need to, you need to do this and this, this and this. And it's like, okay, last week, how was it? What'd you do? What did you fuck it up? What'd you fuck up? You know, like, how did you do that? How'd you get back up? You know, it's like, bam, bam, bam. And some people work really, really well like that. And other people, they, they need to be, they need much, much gentler input. So it, you know, it depends. It depends. And, you know, I could say with my my clients, I like a give and take. I like a not totally drill sergeant, not totally, you know, pet the kitty <laughs> for an hour. <laughs> you know, there's there's got to be some give and take and 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 dy- dy- dynamism. It has to be dynamic. Um, those are my favorite ones um, because the people are really like go to the mat and wrestle with their with themselves but there has to be a high level of trust in that right and but that is the closest thing yeah to to making big jumps and and to fit in yeah um 
no, it's exciting times right now in, in terms of working and skills and, and what's needed in the future, because in order to be flexible and of course in the agile world, they, they say, we need these things to be agile. And it's like, but it's the people that need to be agile. Uh, that requires a higher level of emotional intelligence. And so they're doing all these skills and, and trainings and exercises and, and connectedness and bonding, but they're still not working on the emotional intelligence skills because it's like a muscle. Like they say, you could pick up, you can go to the gym and you could look at the weights and it's like, hmm, okay, I know how that works. But if you're not lifting them, you're not going to build the muscle. And it's exactly the same with emotional intelligence. And unless you do them, unless you're practicing with it, they're not going to build. You can do all the wishful thinking you want and you're not going to build the muscles because it's a muscle. But the good news is that everybody can do it. And so in the future, this is what it's moving towards. And so more and more people will do it and the, the companies will get healthier and healthier. Now, granted, some countries, they're going to be ahead of the ball game, but it's going to pull everybody else along with it. You know, it's going to take generations for some countries, um, but it's going that direction. Yeah. That's, I think, the good news. That's my forecast. <laughs> I could be totally wrong. Everything could turn to shit tomorrow. <laughs> but I really don't think so. And I'm not a flowery optimist. If everything's going to be wonderful, I don't think like that. But I do see the needle moving. I do see the pendulum swinging in a, you know, in a good direction. It's not only going to swing there, it's going to swing back or go into shittiness. And it's like, I mean, when you look at what's happening in the United States, I just, you know, you don't, you just like, what do you do with that? They're in a, they're in a, a strange place with the pendulum swing but there's a lot of really really good people and and forward thinkers that are operating outside of the toxicity and you just have to keep moving forward that's the only thing but the skill level you know these the of the emotional intelligence is rising but that it just seems so extreme in comparison to what's going on that it feels like it's never going to get better right now. Yeah, we see the possibility. And so we become impatient, myself included. And I'm like, why do they keep doing this? <laughs> like, you know, it, it's, it's hard to watch a lot of this, you know, just everything. But um, I think as long as we're dissatisfied, it means we're, we're, we're helping to change it. If we weren't dissatisfied, and just frustrated, you know, and just, ah, it means we're accepting it. So nobody's accepting it, but, you know, when we, you know, everybody's like, kind of like, well, what do we do about it? And there's a lot of people doing the hard work. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, like I said, I'm lazy and I'm 60. So I'm glad that there's a lot of people in their 20s and 30s that are just like, ah, doing the hard work for us. Yeah. Yeah. And people like you and I do like we can we can support them. Say, <laughs> like, yay, you're doing the hard work here. Can we help you? <laughs> so final word, stay dissatisfied. <laughs> kind of. Kind of. What's that thing? Stay hungry. 
you know, I'm always hungry. I'm always curious. I'm always, yeah, yeah. Because when you're like that and you have a higher level, you know, of that hunger for things to be better and you have a higher level of, of curiosity, um, we're moving the needle always on our skills for the future. I think, I think that's how it works. Because if we're satisfied, we're not, we're not going to try and move the needle on it. We're not going to be looking for something else. You just get complacent and disappointed. That's an interesting thing, the difference between um, frustration and disappointment. Hmm. And disappointment means it's like, okay, it, it is like it is. You know, I'm just disappointed. But frustration means you're still invested in it. There's a separation with the disappointment, which sometimes you need to be, you know, because being frustrated with something, sometimes you need to let that shit go and just be disappointed. But if we're working on something and we're frustrated with it, it's like, ah, ah, I almost got that right. Like practicing an instrument. You're frustrated. I can't get this piece. I want it to be perfect. I want it. I want it to sound like this. And so you practice and you practice. And either you give up in disappointment or <laughs> like, ah, that's the wrong piece of music. Or you, you go up another level. I don't want to say you master it. You master that particular little chunk. And then you go up to the next level. Yeah. Is frustration the driver for experimentation because the moment you're disappointed you give up on the uh, on the experimentation often i don't think it's always that way well, at least not for me i you know experimenting on things i'll do it because you know oh i wonder what that's going to be like just from a curiosity and fun angle um you know it would be fun i was like oh i'm going to experiment with that so i don't have any frustration in that equation but there are certain things where well, that's like problem solving. That's the, all the best, some of the, you know, the best inventions came out of being frustrated. <laughs> that's so it's not always, but sure, oftentimes, absolutely. Yeah. It's a good so, drive. And ending on a high note. Yes. Stay frustrated. <laughs> stay frustrated. Stay frustrated. Stay curious. Stay hungry. Yes. <laughs> Cool. It has been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to you through all these things and, and figuring some things out, opening up new fields, opening up new questions. Yeah. And uh, yeah. thanks for the discussion. Thanks for having me. And always a pleasure talking with you. <laughs> Maybe sometime soon again. <laughs> yeah. See you around the coffee machine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for being a part of this conversation with My Future Skills. The show is hosted and produced by me, Saskia Listler. Music for the show is by Music Unlimited. If you want to find out more or hear previous episodes, you can go to conversationswithmyfutureskills.com. You can also download this episode on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review it as it helps other listeners finding it. Hear you next time.